So the vast majority of the time here at Christ United, we preach uh, sermon series about 80% of the Sundays of the year, in fact. Uh, I mentioned that in a couple weeks, we're going to be kicking off the Bible on Broadway series, which I'm excited about. But then those other 20% of the Sundays are special Sundays of some kind, Pentecost, World Communion Sunday, All Saints. Today, we're in the middle of um, three weeks of celebrating various ministries of our church. So last week, we talked about the importance of Vacation Bible School. Uh, Next week, our youth choir is going to be coming home from their annual choir tour. What time do y'all meet here in the morning? 4.30 in the morning, they meet to fly to uh, D.C., which is going to be super exciting. I'll be here with my oldest to see y'all off. Uh, And actually, Reagan's going to preach next week uh, as the kids are leading us in music. Baby pictures? Yes? Okay, good. Well, today we're celebrating our youth group's annual mission trip, as I mentioned, uh, which gives us really the perfect chance to talk about what I think is one of the most important aspects of Methodist theology in particular. So almost a third of the human beings on the planet right now are some flavor of Christian. There's more than two billion of us worldwide. Those who identify as Christian are affiliated with a a wide variety of denominations. There was a a 2020 report by the Center for the Study of Global Christianity at an institution called the the Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, and they found, and this is astonishing, that there are over 40,000 Christian denominations worldwide, 40,000. And while it is absolutely true that that most of us largely agree on many important basics of the faith, uh, it is also true that different Christian denominations emphasize different aspects of Christian theology. Our own Methodist movement, you may know, was founded in the 18th century by two brothers, John and Charles Wesley, both of whom were priests in the Church of England. And it's always important when we talk about the beginnings of Methodism to point out that uh, it was not the Wesley's intention to start a new denomination. What they were interested in was the revival of the church that they served. They wanted to revive the spirit and enthusiasm of Christians that were in the church of England so that everything they did in those early days of the movement was intended to to deepen the spiritual lives of the people called Methodists. And if you're a student of Methodist history at all, you know that some of those things that they did were to organize uh, small groups uh, in which people would discuss deeply personal spiritual issues and hold each other accountable on their faith walk. Sunday school uh, is like that in some cases today. They encouraged intentional ongoing Bible study. They encouraged a rich prayer life. They actually expected Methodists to participate in service work like our kids and their adult leaders did this week. Uh, They expected Methodists to participate in justice work. In short, the Wesleys wanted Methodists to be deeply committed Christians. That was the point. Uh, For them, it was not just about knowing Jesus, nor was it about kind of intellectually agreeing to a set of doctrines. Uh, It was not even simply about placing our faith in Christ, although uh, all of these things are important to be sure. I'm not minimizing any of those things. But from the very beginning, uh, Methodism has been about living out our discipleship as fully and completely as we can. It's about uh, following Christ's example. It's about adhering to Christ's teachings and continuing to grow in love for God and for our neighbor. In other words, the focus of Methodist theology has always been uh, not on the moment of conversion, okay? We don't 
We don't uh, overly emphasize the moment we place our faith in Christ. We don't really focus on the moment that we're saved, to use that language, if you come from a different tradition. Now, that's an important moment for sure. Uh, It's a a life-shaping moment, life-changing moment. It's an essential starting place, the moment we place our faith in Christ. Or in the case of uh, like Methodist kids, typically it's about confirmation when you choose to be part of the church, but that's only the starting point. Instead, Methodist theology has always focused on what comes after we've placed our faith in Christ, how we grow in our discipleship once we've decided to follow Christ. In the Christian tradition, uh, this is known as the journey of sanctification, uh, and we're going to be talking about it today because I think what the kids did this week on APA, uh, on our admission trip, is a, really just a perfect encapsulation of what it looks like uh, to be on the journey of sanctification. Now, to to talk about this, we're going to be reading a passage of Scripture that does require a little bit of, of context. Uh, we're going to be reading from Ezekiel, and there's something in particular going on here that you need to know to make sense of what we're going to read. So, uh, you may know that the, the conquest of Judah by the Babylonian Empire uh, and the resulting 50-year exile, uh, that was the defining event of the post-Exodus era. It was the most traumatic event in the Old Testament. It's one that had serious theological repercussions. Um, but it did not happen all at once. In fact, there was a, it was a catastrophe that kind of evolved in slow motion. So there were, there were two separate conquests and deportations as Babylon sought to uh, control Judah from afar. The first deportation came in 597 BC. That's when a, a large group of our faith ancestors were taken to Babylon, including Ezekiel, as we'll talk about. But that was not the end of the story. Over the course of the next 10 years, there was continued and increasing tensions between Judah and Babylon, details that we don't have time for. But in 587, King Nebuchadnezzar uh, returned and finished the job, utterly destroying Jerusalem and the temple and taking into exile uh, another large group of God's people. In fact, after 587 BC, most of God's people were captive in Babylon, while kind of a remnant of the population was left behind in the, in the ashes of Jerusalem. Now, our reading for today comes between that period of 597 and 587. This was a, a time between these catastrophic events. And during this in-between time, some of those who were left behind in Jerusalem started to assume that God's judgment had only been upon the ones who had been deported. Some believed that those who had been taken to Babylon had somehow brought it on themselves, that they uh, had sinned in some way and that God had punished them for their sins. This was not everybody, but there was some not insignificant number of those remaining in Jerusalem uh, who looked down upon those who were in exile. They came to believe that they, the ones behind in Jerusalem, were really God's people, and that those first exiles were no longer part of the community of faith. So that, that tension between the people who had been removed from Jerusalem already and the ones that stayed behind in Babylon, that's the context of our reading for today. So this is Ezekiel chapter 11, verses 14 to 20. Listen, friends, for the word of God as it is proclaimed by God's servant, the prophet Ezekiel, who writes... Then the word of the Lord came to me, mortal, your kinsfolk, your own kin, your fellow exiles, 
the whole house of Israel, all of them, are those whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said, they have gone far from the Lord, to us this land is given for a possession. So the ones who have been taken to exile are out. The ones who are still in Jerusalem are the only ones who matter. That's what they're saying back in Jerusalem. Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, though I have removed them far away from among the nations and though I scattered them among the countries, yet I I have been a sanctuary to them for a little while in the countries where they have gone. Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered and I will give you the land of Israel. When they come there, they will remove from it all its detestable things and all its abominations. I will give them, it says one heart, but the better translation is a new heart. I will give them a new heart and put a new spirit within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh so that they may follow my statutes and keep my ordinances and obey them. Then they shall be my people and I will be their God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So Ezekiel was born into a priestly family, and what that meant was that uh, he had been an insider for his entire life. He was a member of the leading class in Judah. So he was among the first ones taken into exile in the first deportation in 597 BC. He was called by God to be a prophet Three, uh, four years later in 593 BC, so that he was a prophet called in exile to be a prophet in exile to God's people. That means that Ezekiel's task was to interpret for God's people in exile the catastrophe that had befallen them. He had to, he had to help them see where God was in the midst of this trauma. He had to uh, help them understand how they should respond to this greatest tragedy in Israel's history. And in our passage for this morning, uh, God says through Ezekiel uh, to those in exile during this in-between time, he says, don't worry, I'm still with you. Up to this point, you believe that God, that I only lived in the temple. And so you're separated from Jerusalem, but don't worry, uh, I'm not just in the temple, I am also with you. And by the way, I'm not really all that happy with that judgmental, holier-than-thou crowd back home who's saying that you're not really faithful. But don't worry about that. That's all going to work itself out. Someday, God says, this period of hardship is going to come to an end. You're going to have the chance to go back home. And when you get back to Jerusalem, you'll clean up the mess. You'll rebuild. And you're going to live according to my will as you grow in love for me. And then God, through the prophet Ezekiel, gives us this wonderful image to explain how this transformation is going to happen. And this image has become part of our religious language ever since. God will give God's people new hearts. Those old hearts of stone will be replaced with hearts of flesh. Those hearts of stone will be transformed by God into something new. God will transform us into something new. And the point is, all of us need to be transformed, whether we realize it or not. Now, it's not the language that Ezekiel would use, but in the Christian tradition, we call this uh, sanctification. This process of transformation is called sanctification. It's the journey that begins the moment that we place our faith in Christ 
As Methodists, we believe that sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit within us, that our job is to continually deepen our connection to God through the Spirit's work within us. And in fact, the reason that we're called Methodists is because of this methodical approach that the Wesleys um, encouraged all the people in their movement to participate in on their spiritual journeys, weekly worship or more often, uh, the sacraments, small groups, Bible study, prayer, service work, justice work. All of these are ways in which we listen for the Holy Spirit's guidance and we allow ourselves to be uh, moved along this journey of sanctification. And the ultimate goal of this journey is what John Wesley called perfection, Christian perfection. And we got to unpack that. Uh, He did not mean that the goal is to live a sinless life. That's not what Christian perfection means. There's only one person who ever lived who lived a sinless life, and it's in him that we place our faith. Instead, what Christian perfection is, uh, is a perfect love for God and perfect love for our fellow human beings. And Wesley actually believed that Christian perfection is attainable in this life. Now, it usually only happens in glimpses. It's usually fleeting, but it is possible this idea of Christian perfection. As Methodists, we believe that Christian perfection is possible not because of us, we're flawed, we're imperfect, but because of the Holy Spirit working within us. We use the phrase going on to perfection. All of us are going on to perfection and on any given day we're making more progress than others. But we believe that God is patient with us along the way. We believe that all of us are works in progress. We believe that none of us is finished on this side of the grave anyway, and we believe that God's not through with any of us yet. And as Ezekiel puts it, God gives us a new heart. Our task is to receive it and to say yes to the journey and then to be open to wherever God leads. Now, if you've been around for a while, you may have heard me say that my first calling to ministry was as a youth pastor. I love love youth ministry. Uh, I served in that role for six years. I led seven different mission trips in that time um, to places like Juarez, Mexico and San Jose, Costa Rica. Uh, We went to a reservation, Indian reservation in South Dakota. We did hurricane relief work uh, outside of New Orleans. Every year, the idea was that we would go to a very different setting and we would do different types of work. And every single one of those trips was transformational. Still, all these years later, I talked to former youth frequently, uh, whose lives were permanently shaped and transformed by those trips to various places. Now, last week, uh, I mentioned that Vacation Bible School is one of the most important things that we do as a community of faith because uh, it impacts so many families, including lots of folks we would not otherwise meet. I feel exactly the same way about youth mission trips. They are a vital cornerstone of our work with young people. So you saw the video, you heard Haley's introduction. Where'd you go, Haley? There you go, thanks, you're hiding back there. She's young, she looks like one of the kids. There she is, Haley. Um, So we call our high school mission trip APA. That's what's on all the kids' shirts. Uh, That name comes from the very origins of the trip 41 years ago. In the early years, we used to go on something called the Appalachian Service Project. Nickname for that was APA. That name has stuck ever since. And as a congregation, we should be proud of the fact that uh, we've got a 41-year track record of investing in young people 
through these trips, including during the pandemic, which was not easy. And I'm talking about investments, both financial and in terms of volunteer hours. We have talented staff members, for sure. We have incredibly dedicated volunteers, and we've got supportive parents who make APA possible. And in my mind, as I mentioned at the top, this is a quintessential example of what the journey of sanctification looks like. Now, we didn't talk about this in the video, um, but this year the, the theme scripture verse was 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 15. Everybody lean forward so they can see it. It's on the back of your shirts in case you want to see it. In the Common English Bible, it reads, practice these things and live by them so that your progress will be visible to all. And by practice these things, we're talking about the specific ways that Methodists seek to grow in our faith, fellowship and prayer and Bible study and worship and service to others. And it wasn't on the video, but every day, APA begins with something called Time Alone with God. And these are devotionals that were written by the youth for the youth. It sets the tone for the day, reminding the kids why they're there and what they're all about as followers of Jesus. Now, I won't embarrass them by asking them individually. I'm guessing this is the one week out of the year where they spend time alone with God before the start of their busy days. Maybe not. Maybe you've got devotional lives. The parents would probably say otherwise as we're rushing out the door for schools. But for this one week, every day begins with that spiritual reset. And then they go to the work sites. Uh, and you saw some of the work they did. They talked about uh, some of the work they did. They're working side by side with faithful, dedicated adults. And yes, the part of the point, part of the goal is a wheelchair ramp or a replaced roof or painting or whatever we're doing on the site that day. But a much bigger thing that those adults are doing is to model for these kids what faith looks like in action. Uh, it's been said that Methodism is what Christianity looks like in its work clothes. <laughs> and I think there's a lot to be said for that. And then each day ends with worship. It's led by our youth. It's a chance to connect with God in the context of a community of faith and also lots and lots of those sometimes aggressive hugs <laughs> that you saw on the video. And all of these elements, all of them, are, are memories that these kids are going to never forget. It's this intentional uh, chance to spend a week listening for how the Holy Spirit is working in their lives, growing them in their love for God and for neighbor. And it is just, it's a cornerstone of what we do. And it's all made possible by this congregation that for 41 years now has generously supported and encouraged them in the work. And it's made possible by the amazingly devoted group of adult volunteers who do the organizing and the cooking and the construction facilitating. And just like VBS the week prior, APA is a, a beautiful example of the work of sanctification as a, as a diverse group of disciples grow together in their faith. And here's the commercial, which I assume you know is coming. If you have youth in your life who are not yet involved in our youth group, please get them connected to this amazing group of kids and adults. It's, it's transformational ministry. I've seen it now for 20 years. And if you've ever felt a calling to volunteer with a youth group, 
please consider getting connected because every one of the adults who goes on these trips will tell you that it's, it's transformational ministry for the adults as well. And even if neither of those two things apply to you, you neither have a youth nor are you called to volunteer with youth, I hope that you're connected in some way and growing in your faith in an intentional way here at Christ United because the journey of sanctification is kind of the point for us Methodists. And we've got so many ways to help you grow in your faith. Any of our pastors or staff members would love to talk to you more about that. There's something that John Wesley wrote once that I think is a really good encapsulation of our emphasis on sanctification. And if you've grown up in a different tradition, you definitely get the distinction. Every tradition emphasizes different things, but here's what we believe. The church changes the world not by making converts. <laughs> That's important. Introducing people to Christ is very important, and that initial faith commitment is very important. But the church changes the world not by making converts, but by making disciples. That's what this last week was all about for these kids. Because deciding to follow Jesus is just the beginning of our lifelong journey of discipleship. We spend the rest of our lives going on to perfection. And I'm grateful that we get to do it in a place like this. Thanks be to God. Amen.